Good morning. My name is Stephanie Ham. Uh, for those of you listening and those in the room, I am the Women's Ministry Coordinator for the Old Providence site, and I'm thrilled to be up here and help us wrap up our last week of the semester. So this is week seven of our study. Um, we will pick back up on the Sermon on the Mount and finish out the study starting in February, the first week of February, and there'll be more information coming about that, but this is our last week for the fall. Um, I have so enjoyed the study, and I hope it's been a blessing to you too. Um, so before we dive in, let's do our minute of quiet. Let's feel our feet on the floor, take some deep breaths, relax our shoulders, and try to clear our minds for the next minute. Father, we know that your spirit is with us this morning. Uh, please open our hearts to what you have for each of us this morning. Uh, would you shine a light on the areas that you want us to look at and you want us to see? And would you also help us to feel your great delight for us this morning? Thanks for loving us. All right, so our passage this morning um, comes from, well, Matthew 5, 7 is our beatitude, and then uh, chapter 6, 19 through 24 is our passage. Um, so the first time I read through, um, if you'll just sort of listen um, and think about if there's a word or a phrase that jumps out to you, you can write that down. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. A word or a phrase that jumps out. it again. Think about what do you consider your treasures to be? What do you consider your treasures to be and what do they have to do with your heart? Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Don't store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I'm sorry, that is not right. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth 
for moth and rust to destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What are your treasures, and what do they have to do with your heart? Okay, last time, um, if you'll think about, as I read this, what does this passage say about Jesus and his kingdom? What does this passage have to say about Jesus and his kingdom? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and love the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What does Jesus say about, what does this passage say about Jesus and his kingdom? for participating in that. Um, so like we've been talking about each week, these Beatitudes really do build on each other. Our first Beatitude, we talked about being poor in spirit or spiritually needy, aware of our need for Jesus. My favorite translation that Alex brought to the table on that was um, feeling like you're at the end of your rope. And that, I mean, I feel like everyone in my circle heard me talk about that for weeks because it really, it really stuck with me, that being at the end of my rope. We talked about mourning our sin, realizing the deep ways our sin affects other people and the need to lament of our sin and repent. We talked about meekness or humility, the fact that humility is a crucial mark of living as a follower of Jesus, learning to yield to our Father's will and not force our own. 
Uh, we talked about hungering and thirsting for Jesus and that meaning that that's a deep desire for his kingdom to come, to see his kingdom come here and now. And today we're talking about our need for mercy, but until we've gone through these first four phases, we don't really believe that we need mercy. I don't really believe I need mercy until I've realized I'm at the end of my rope, until I've lamented and mourned my sin, um, until I've submitted to my Father's will. Until we've done those things, we don't really believe we need mercy. And I love the way Chuck DeGroote phrases this in Leaving Egypt. Listen to this. He says, Jesus envisions a community where giving and receiving mercy are active and inseparable, two sides of the same coin. It's important to keep in mind what precedes the merciful life. In the first four Beatitudes, Jesus envisions men and women who have been brought to the end of themselves. So that's the end of the rope thing. Who have learned to mourn, who've been humbled, who have witnessed new desires for a righteous life growing within. Our outward, our movement outward into the broken lives of others is preceded by a deep inward work. He says, as a counselor, I've seen many people who live outwardly merciful lives, but who are exhausted and burned out and resentful. More often than not, they have not been introduced to God's healing work in the first four Beatitudes. Our own brokenness cultivates the soil in which a truly merciful life can blossom. So hopefully you can see once again how important it is to digest and process these Beatitudes one at a time. Um, those first four were really inward workings of the heart, and now we're talking about mercy, which is an outworking into the lives of other people. So let's talk about mercy and what it means. Paul Tripp describes mercy this way. Mercy is heartfelt compassion that results in action toward another person. I'm going to say that again. Mercy is heartfelt compassion that results in action toward another person. Ephesians 2.4 tells us that God is rich in mercy, that even when we were his enemies, that he chose to love us, to save us, to bring us from death to life, to love us with a love beyond what we can understand, not making us pay for our sins against him. Heartfelt compassion toward us that resulted in great action. To be merciful is to be generous at its very heart. Mercy is costly. God's mercy toward us cost him the life of his son. And mercy costs us something too. Mercy requires us to be open-handed with our hearts and our emotions. And what do I mean? What, what could this look like for us? What do I mean? So one way mercy shows up in relationships is not making people pay when they hurt or wrong us. When you say you've forgiven someone, when someone has wronged you, not pulling back from them, not punishing them. And y'all know that that's costly. We're putting something on ourselves. We're, we're swallowing that wrong after we've forgiven them. And that's costly. Another way we show mercy is to be open-handed with our resources. When we see someone in need, we enter in. We seek to meet that need. We aren't tight-fisted. To be merciful is to be able to give freely out of what we've been given from our generous Father. Heartfelt compassion that results in action. So we need spiritual mercy from God. We need relational mercy from each other. Like DeGroote said, receiving and giving mercy are two sides of the same coin. We're going to talk a lot later about giving mercy, but being able to receive mercy is equally important. And I want to say that some of you listening right now are feeling your need for mercy. Some of you are in a tender spot. 
life feels hard. Relationships feel hard. Maybe you're struggling mentally or physically. Maybe you're feeling lonely in your marriage or in your singleness. Maybe you have a child that is struggling and you feel hopeless in that. A job that isn't panning out to be what you thought. Some of you are in a place where you're really feeling your need of mercy from God. Maybe you're in a tough spot relationally with your family or friends and you know you've caused hurt and you're feeling your need of mercy from other people. Receiving mercy is hard. Because you're basically admitting you're needy and like we talked about before, um, that's important and it's one of the Beatitudes, but admitting our neediness over and over again is hard. We don't want to need mercy. Some of you listening remember when our middle daughter was born and our family was in a hard and dark and hopeless spot and we needed mercy. And I did not want to need it. I hated it. But God was so merciful. His church was so merciful. This church was so merciful to us. Other people felt compassion toward us and were moved to action on our behalf. And maybe you're feeling in need of that today. If you are, I hope you'll seek someone out that feels safe to you and tell them, I need help. Whether that's a need for emotional or relational help or meeting a felt need that you have, we want to be a church and followers of Jesus that are both willing to receive mercy as well as give it. No matter how you're suffering right now, I want to remind us all that God does see us and his mercy does not run out. He does not ever get tired of being merciful towards us. Exodus 34 says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in hesed. And if you don't know that word hesed, it means like a pursuing, unending, steadfast love that's really hard for us to get our mind around. Um, so we, his mercy is not going to run out towards us ever. So we talked about mercy, what it is, and that we all need it at some level, and we're going to come back to that later. But for now, we're going to jump into the rest of the passage. Verse 19, don't store up treasures for yourselves on earth, where moth and rust, moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't know if these verses make you cringe like they do me. Like, I feel like every time I hear them, my inner five-year-old comes out and I just want to like close my ears and like my eyes and like la 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 la. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to pay attention to them. I don't want to hear them. Um, and I think it's because most of my life, whether I just heard it through the wrong lens or I was taught incorrectly, I just feel like this super guilt around these verses. Like I was getting called out or something. And I think subconsciously it's down there in us that we all want to store up treasure, whatever that looks like for us, and that that's wrong. So it's not surprising that when I spotted this line in the commentary we've been using, I snagged on it and I felt some relief. The commentator said this, it's not wrong to want to lay up treasures for ourselves. The verse we read actually commands us to do it. Wanting to invest in something that's bigger than we are is a good desire. Where our sinful nature subverts this good desire is by where we want to store them and what we are investing in. Dallas Willard says, everyone has treasures. It is an essential part of being human. He goes on to say, to discuss our treasures with someone else is to deal with the fundamental structure of our soul, which sounds so intense. And that's what we're going to try and do later in our small groups. <laughs> <laughs> 
Humans have a natural anxiety, though, around goods and possessions. And so hearing that, like, just sort of helps my shoulders relax a little. Like, that the desire isn't wrong, and that there's humanity in this. But the verse gives a command and a warning. Do store up treasures. Just store them up where they matter, where they are safe. But also, what are we storing up, and are we holding on tightly to earthly treasure that will waste away? What are we treasuring? This next verse has some dark and light imagery, and I'm curious where your imagination took you when we read those verses. Uh, Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? That's a lot of dark. The first time I read that, I was like, what in the world is this saying? Well, thankfully, we have a commentary, and I learned that these verses are addressing greed. So the word there for healthy, that if your eye is healthy, that word can also be interpreted as generous. And generosity is the opposite of greed. So if our eye is healthy and generous, our body will be full of light. If our eye is dark and greedy, Jesus is saying that there is a deep darkness inside of us. How deep is that darkness? Tim Keller says that money blinds us, whether we have a lot of it or a little bit of it. Clinging too tightly for whatever reason we have makes our eyes dark. It keeps us from being generous. So I hope where we can sit for a bit today is in the fact that treasuring isn't wrong. Verse 21 says that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. So they're connected. It is not wrong to want to have treasure, but what am I treasuring? And do I realize the ways that my eye is dark and then subsequently that holding on to that treasure is dark for my soul? It makes me greedy and tight-fisted and not generous and not open-handed to others. So I want for us to be able to make that connection. What are we holding tightly to that makes it difficult for us to be generous? Did something come to mind during the Lectio? If you need some more help thinking about this, here's how Keller puts it. He poses it this way. Look at where your money goes. Follow the money and you'll see who your master is. If you want to know your real source of self-worth, see where your money goes most effortlessly, most joyfully. It just flies out of your pocket to those places. So he suggests asking ourselves, where does money fly out of your pocket? When your heart is resting in something, it doesn't even feel like you're spending the money. Another way to get there is, what do you think about when you don't have anything else to think about? When your mind wanders, where does it go? I actually really did not want to think about this, if I'm honest. I wanted to talk to y'all about it even less. (laughs) But if I want to take what God's word seriously says, what he says, and seriously, I have to look at it. And I bet if you've processed your story much or if you've thought much about the way you grew up or the major milestones in your life, I bet you can trace back to where you first felt the need to cling tightly to something. Treasure can look different for all of us. Maybe it's actual stuff like clothes or jewelry or shoes, or maybe it's the desire for a bigger, better home. Maybe it's how we look or how our husband looks. Maybe it's experiences or vacations. Maybe it's security. Feeling financially safe and taken care of with plenty of money in the bank. Maybe it's around education for you or wanting the best for your kids. 
And some of these desires have a lot of dignity attached to them. I've talked about this before, some of y'all have heard me say this, but I had what felt like a traumatic experience as a young teen in middle school. I grew up in a very conservative Christian church school, and then in sixth grade went to public school for the first time. And that rocked my world in lots of ways, uh, but the most significant way is that I felt all these feelings that I'd never felt before. I felt sheltered, I felt uh, foolish, I felt irrelevant, I felt like I didn't know anything. I felt like um, I just didn't know, like the clothes and the styles and the books and ways of speaking that all the cool, unsheltered kids knew. I felt silly and vulnerable and I hated it. And I made a vow at that young age that I would never let that happen again. And this sounds very dramatic now, but at the time it felt really important. I would control my image and therefore control what people thought of me. I would perform in such a way that people would think well of me, maybe even respect me, but I would not be thought of as a fool. So what did I do? I got a job as soon as I turned 15. I worked my butt off up to three part-time jobs at a time to make sure I had the financial resources to take care of my image the way I wanted to. I went to a good college, I made good grades, I studied in Europe, I got a good job out of college and was successful there. My semi-subconscious earthly treasure became storing up value for my image. I would not be seen as foolish or ignorant or vulnerable or clueless again. Now, of course, that is not true. I have been those things many times. <laughs> it's all an illusion. But believing the lie that my value lay in creating a certain image of myself caused my eyes to be dark to the ways I spent money toward that end. I could spend money very easily where it came to anything that helped me pursue the image that I wanted others to have of me. Now, the Spirit has really pursued me in this and has lovingly stripped away over the years some things that I held tightly to in an unhealthy way. He's taught me that this is not where he wants me to find life, that my identity is not in how other people perceive me. But sadly, when I find myself drifting away from what is true, my identity being in Christ, I find the place I still cling tightly to or where I can spend money most effortlessly is anything pertaining to myself or what others think of me the way I look, the things I buy for myself, making sure I'm up on cultural trends or news. And let me tell you how much it pains me to say this out loud, but Jesus, is is, Jesus tells me that using money to store up this treasure is bad for my soul, dark for my soul, deeply dark, in fact. So I need to look at it and be aware and allow the spirit to continue to change me and pursue me and help me to relocate my treasure. Where does money fly out of your pocket? Toward body image, appearance, wanting to hold on to your youth. Or maybe you don't spend money on those things. Maybe you're thrifty and you have good investments, but you're clinging tightly to that too. Where's our heart? Where is our real security? Maybe you feel like you don't have enough money, so you cling tightly to what you have. But again, that's a tight-fisted posture that does not trust the merciful heart of a generous father. David Foster Wallace said it this way at a Harvard commencement speech, and I put it on your small group sheet because I thought it was so well said. If you worship money and things, you'll never have enough. Worship your body and beauty, and you'll always feel ugly. Worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you'll need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, and you will always feel like a fraud on the verge of being found out. 
Whatever your earthly treasure is, it can never live up and it will never feel like enough. What is that for you? What is that for you? And are you aware of the control it has, the way it blinds you, the ways it makes your eyes dark? Y'all can discuss that shallow little topic in your small groups. <laughs> Verse 24, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We cannot serve our earthly treasures, all the things we've talked about, and also be in the business of bringing God's kingdom to bear here. We cannot serve the kingdom of God and the kingdom of ourselves. So which is it? Who are we serving? Well, the way to answer that question, according to Keller, is watch where our money goes and watch where our resources go. And he says that's who our master is. And this is hard to want to think about. Did y'all know that 25% of Jesus' teaching while he was on earth had to do with our money? I did not know that until I was studying this. And that's a big percentage. Um, and I think it's the reason um, that Keller says money darkens our eyes. We don't want to look at it. Is our money and our time going to serve ourselves? Or are we looking for ways to invest in the kingdom of heaven? By giving our money and our time away by entering into the lives of broken people, even when it's messy and hard, by getting our hands dirty. And this is the perfect segue back to our beatitude. We've been talking about bringing God's kingdom to bear here on earth, the fact that we don't have to wait until heaven. One way we do that, one way we bring light into the darkness, we push back the fall, usher in God's kingdom here, store up treasure, real treasure, eternal treasure, practically is to show mercy. And again, we can think of this in terms of relational mercy and physical mercy. There are people everywhere, y'all know this, in all facets of our lives that are broken and in need of relational mercy. But I think depending on where you live in Charlotte, it can be really easy to not see the people in our city that are in need of physical mercy. It can be really easy to unintentionally surround ourselves with people that all sort of look the same dress the same, think the same, spend money the same. And in some ways, it's so much easier, right? It's so much easier to hang out with people that are just like us, so much less messy. But that is not what Jesus calls us to. We are called to bring his kingdom here, to be merciful out of the bounty of mercy that we have received. But if we aren't intentionally looking for ways to be merciful, to be open-handed to the many, many other people in Charlotte, in our country, in our world, if we aren't intentional about there being some space in our life where we interact with people outside of our bubble, we will not see those people. We will so much more easily live for ourselves. And as Jesus puts it, our eye will be dark and we won't see clearly. And that's a dangerous place for our souls. Flourishing are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And again, this isn't transactional. This is not transactional. Instead, the ones who know the mercy that they've received will be merciful to those around them. Mercy will flow out of them. Compassion that results in action toward other people. Y'all, this is so hard. I don't wanna act like this is easy. This is really hard. If you've ever been involved with people who can't regularly meet their own physical felt needs, 
you know, it's hard, it's messy, it's inefficient, it's costly to us. Mercy is costly. It requires sacrifice and open-handedness, and this is hard. How can we do that? How can we be that sacrificial with our time and our money? Well, by relocating our treasure, by letting our treasure be the one who treasures us. Oh, y'all, look at this. I got so excited when I put this connection together. Let's look at 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. So Peter's talking to the church, and he says, but you, the church, us, We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, his treasure, his treasure, the joy set before him, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that was us. We were once a people that had not received mercy, that were walking in darkness, and now we're in the light, and now we have received mercy. We are his treasure. May we believe this. May the gravity of this truth soak into our hearts, that we are his treasure. We are his holy possession. That is why he came to earth. He has been so rich in mercy toward us. How can we not allow mercy to flow through us outward? And what I pray that we walk out of here with is this this truth pressed more deeply in our hearts. And by believing this truth, not just in our heads, not just to assent to it, but have it more pressed by the Spirit into our hearts is what helps us to not treasure our treasures here, not cling tightly to all the things we think we need to stay in control. We can hold them loosely. We can invest in the kingdom. We can give our time and our money away because my money doesn't control me. Our, our money doesn't control me, our, us. <laughs> Our identity, our image doesn't control us because we are treasured by the king of the universe. And that's what rescues me from myself and enables me to loosen my grip and live mercifully, open-handed and outward-facing. When we see the mercy and generosity of God towards us, then we are able to walk in mercy and generosity. I'd love to end our time together by reading the Lord's Prayer together. Um, It's in, if you want to read along, it's uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 9. But I would love for y'all to read this with me as we finish. So we pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'll say it with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, thank you for your great mercy towards us. Thank you that while we were your enemies, you still chose to save us, that you extended a mercy to us that we can't fathom. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for treasuring us that much. Would you allow us to be agents on this earth to bring your kingdom to bear here and now? Would you help us to see the ways that our eyes are dark, the ways that we spend money to store up earthly treasures that are so fleeting? Would you make us aware of these things? And by your spirit, would you change us? Would you allow us to relocate our treasure? Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.